welcome back, Chelsea fans, to another episode of the Romans Empire podcast for now, uh, where all we do is talk <laughs> Chelsea and talk shit about everyone else. Andres, I feel like I have to kind of caveat every podcast with this. That is our name for now. It does not mean that we are taking any sort of political stance. Uh, so there you go. Um, anyways, Andres, you're here to join me. Um, you know, we're going to talk a bit. Yeah, back, right? And wearing the Ferrari hat, representing uh, Team Ferrari for uh, all you F1 fans. Big weekend for them. Um, but yeah, I mean, besides the besides the Ferrari win, Andres, Chelsea got through to the next round of the FA Cup. Going to Wembley, baby. Going to Wembley again. Tell me, uh, tell me like your basic feelings about going back to Wembley under Sir Thomas Tuchel. He deserves to be knighted during this month, that's for sure. Uh, obviously, it's exciting. It's amazing how both the men's team and the women's team have gone unbeaten during this time of absolute madness at the club. Uh, it shows, once again, my theory that this club is cur- or the squad is currently built to succeed uh, in uh, elimination-style tournaments more so than the league itself even though we are in great league form once again. But, I mean, it's it's a bit of unfinished business for, for this team. It's, it's almost unchanged from last season, and they lost in the FA Cup final last year, unfairly, perhaps, some may say. So to have a chance to be back at Wembley for the semis, I believe we drew Crystal Palace. So... Uh, and and to confirm that Connor Gallagher cannot play against us, thank God. Yeah. Uh, so again, unfinished business when it comes to the FA Cup. Uh, so to me, I think it's it's time for a bit of redemption. It's time to to get the work done this time around because I felt that last year the team showed up and just kind of expected to be handed a trophy. So I think this team has learned a lot in terms of what's expected, and uh, I'm hoping we can. We can kind of just get a uh, English trophy under under Tuchel. Mount spoke about that, and he said that he was particularly eager eager to win a domestic cup. That was something that that he really wanted, and it's actually funny for him because he's sort of he's still in the early stage of his career, which is insane. But you think about it, he's won more in Europe than he's won domestically already at this point, which is absolutely crazy. But I mean, we'll get to talking about Mountain a little bit. Obviously, he was a man of the match um, with two assists on the day. But, um, Andres, I'll just go quickly through the starting lineup, and then you could kind of – I'll give my thoughts, and then maybe you could give me your thoughts about it too because I know that, um, you know, we, we deployed a back four, which surprised a lot of people. So yeah. we had Mendy and Goal, obviously. Back four consisted of uh, Malang Sar, Rudiger, Thiago Silva, and Dave playing on the right. Um, a midfield three, it looked like to me. And Andres, this is where maybe you can chime in. I saw a midfield three with RLC and Kova sort of playing behind Mason Mount. Mm-hmm. And Mason Mount was playing in more of a free role. Was it necessarily a box-to-box role as much? Is that what you saw? That is exactly what I saw. I thought it was going to be more of your traditional 4-3-3 with maybe RLC as a lone six. But it, it looked more like a 4-2-3-1 uh, with yeah. Mount assisting, you know, the other two center mids with defensive duties. And mm-hmm. you're right. He had the freedom to, to roam left and right. 
uh, wherever the, the play dictated. Yeah, and then just in front of that midfield three, or, you know, however you want to put it, um, Pulisic Lukaku and Hakeem Ziyech, the birthday boy, just turned 29. Um, so why not, Andres? We'll just kind of dive right into Twitter questions because, look, if we break this game down bit by bit, is it really going to serve us that much good in the grand scheme of things? It was a one-off <laughs> cut match against the championship side who we won't see again for the rest of the season. So we'll just dive straight into our Twitter questions, and I think we're going to cover everything because they were pretty damn good this week. So kicking things off. We have the czar of the Rep Ultras, Bone Daddy Cool, a.k.a. Bone Daddy Deluxe, a.k.a. Bone Daddy Supreme, Ron, the legend, the man. He asks, is this, quote, break, a welcome pause for people to get their heads clear, or is this something that can hurt our momentum? Andres, we'll just kind of get right into it, man. Um, I mean, I think I think it's it's a welcome pause considering – that we ended it on a high note. It wasn't one of those pauses that was needed because we're dropping points. I think it's just a good time to get guys like Reese James healthy um, and, you know, sort of build up the fitness of other guys like who who have been out, like Saul, who's been really influential. I think he's been down and out with COVID. Jorginho, who's been struggling a little bit um, with his performances. So for me, it's, it's a welcome break. Um, but at the same time, the current status of Chelsea makes me a little anxious. What about you? Yeah, so you mentioned whether whether this will slow down momentum. I actually have that slight fear because I think with all these matches happening right now during this chaos, the players have to only focus on football. And I know that Pulisic is one of the few players that actually has uh, World Cup qualifiers, I believe, this, this upcoming time so he gets to just continue to focus on football but I just feel distractions can creep in uh that sort of thing is what I'm I'm more nervous about yes players like Jorginho will get a break but for the most part I'm more afraid of everyone else just kind of you know getting out of the loop of things and then having to come back and get reworked like reprogrammed into this kind of us against the world mentality that Tuchel has almost uh kind of built uh in in the past month or so so yeah i am a little nervous especially because this break absolutely means that we'll see a bajillion rumors of players leaving because that's what happens during international break so again it just feels like a lot of distraction when of course everything is clicking so i i'm not i'm not kind of fond of it i think we could have gone another couple weeks and, and taken advantage of this momentum a little further well, Andres, I'm looking here at the World Cup qualifiers being played. Looks like Jorginho is going to play for Italy. That's right. Uh, they're in the playoffs. I forgot about that. Yeah. Um, we also have Edouard Mendy with Senegal. We have, obviously, Pulisic with the United States. We have Thiago Silva with Brazil. Um, other than that... Unless if I'm most mistaken, Europeans aren't playing, or right? just blind, yeah, that that does look like everybody. So it does it does kind of feel. I'm going to be honest. It just does feel a little bit like, damn, we had so much freaking momentum <laughs> of all of all the times when we didn't need an international break before. Now we have one. It just a part of me does feel like it could halt our momentum in that way. Yeah. Um. 
But l- let's get into the uh, into the Middlesbrough match a little bit more. I know we already went over the starting lineups. One of the names that stuck out, Thiago Silva, man. I mean, I call him the Brazilian John Terry for a reason because I don't think there's a higher compliment you can give to a center back uh, at Chelsea. Uh, we did get a good question in, or more like a comment actually, from Ronnie Ashworth, but we can talk about it a little bit. At CFC Ronnie, he said, if only Thiago Silva was 27 instead of 37, he makes the game look so simple. Like, time slows down when the ball comes near him. Um, Andres, let's let's talk about it. 105 passes completed on the day. That's the most in the match. Six out of six aerials duel, aerial duels won, most in the match. Ten ball recoveries. I didn't check, but I'd be willing to bet that that's probably the most in the match, if not second. Um, and then five out of seven completed long balls. Talk about his performance. I mean, I think it's just this is typical now. I, I really think that he, you know, we thought that this year it would be kind of like, oh, we're only going to use him when we need him. You know, we only are going to use him to to lead a back line if if needed for the the random Champions League match. That is, you know, leadership will come in handy, but. Right now, it's kind of hard to picture that back three without him, not just this season, but going even into the next. Uh, I think he is in far better shape than his age, <laughs> you yeah. know, shows. And sure, we, we saw earlier in his time here, like, he can get hurt here and there. But I think that the team is now learning how to, you know, not learning, they have learned how to deploy this back three, which makes Thiago ha- kind of have to do less of the of the crazy acrobatics he had to do a lot of last year, which yeah. led to some of those injuries. So for me, it's it's just this performance is just another one of of many this year. I, I don't see how this guy doesn't get into the Premier League team of the season, for example. Uh, Please, I just, we need I that just, FIFA card. <laughs> I just think that he's. What a class signing. I mean, this is what you hope for when you get this sort of veteran, older player on a free transfer. And, and I think we've, we've far outweighed the investment when it comes to Thiago Silva. And, and I know he's on one-year deals right now. But, again, I, I don't see how he's not one a main contributor even going into next season. Yeah, I can, I can definitely see him being a part of the team. And, and Ronnie has a good point. Imagine if we got him prior to him making the jump over to PSG. If we got Thiago Silva mid to late 20s, and imagine partnering that with a guy like JT, and it only makes you wonder what could have been possibly the best center-back pairing of all time. But that's beside the point. Um, look, it, it, he's he's the most, I want to say the most important player in the team in a way. I mean, he just exudes this sort of calmness when he's on the ball, when he's on the pitch. He seems to order things around. I think he was the guy that sort of screwed Rudiger's head on in terms of getting his game back on track, um, you know, after being dropped by Frank and all of that stuff. So, you know, I give him a lot of credit for that aspect of the game. I also think that he bails out guys like Jorginho, um, yep. who catch themselves in trouble a lot. And to sort of to sort of back up your point about the way he takes care of his body. I mean, we know that there's a certain level of professionalism that goes into that. I mean, you look at guys around the world like 
Floyd Mayweather, LeBron James, people that have been able to Tom keep Brady. their bodies and Tom Brady, another good example. I mean, throw Cristiano Ronaldo in there also. Guys that are just in ridiculous shape at a really, at an older age, at least for an athlete in their sport. And, mm-hmm. you know, th- that responsibility, that maturity, I think it kind of rubs off on the rest of the squad. Now, with Thiago Silva, I think a big reason why he doesn't get hurt as much now as he did when he first came in is because he just settled in. I was watching him. And I'm trying to count how many times he gets caught in a full-on sprint. How many times does he push his muscles to the limit during a game? And it's only a handful. You could probably only count it on one hand, maybe two every now and then. But in general, the guy just reads the game so well, and he's positioning himself into places where he really just has to kind of stand there and make the tackle or stick his foot out or just jump and win an aerial, as opposed to making up ground, throwing in a last-ditch challenge. I mean, that's really how players hurt themselves anyways, right? Making desperate challenges and desperate lunges instead of being well-positioned to where you're not straining your muscles to make a tackle. You're just sticking your leg out to the side. And Thiago Silva gets gets caught in those situations a lot. And and to his credit, his brain is just so brilliant that it also helps his body not get put in those positions. Because I could remember, like, the injury where he tore his hamstring against Tottenham. I think it was his first season with us. Ball over the top to Harry Kane or Son. He sticks his leg out to make an interception, a desperate one, because he gets caught out of position. They're in behind. Sticks his leg out, tears his hammy. I mean, those kind of injuries, I don't think he's been caught in that situation again since, now that I'm thinking about it. And maybe right. that's why he's he's managed to stay healthy, because with older players, it does tend to be the more muscular, mileage-type injuries. Right. I mean, that was earlier into Lampard's little second season. Uh, mm-hmm. obviously Thiago wasn't here. So it was one of those things where we were flirting with two different type of systems under Lampard, where there was a back three, back four. Again, I think back then we still had the erratic Rudiger, not the one that's kind of understood his role. So I think, I don't think Thiago was the one that got caught out of position. I thought, I think Thiago was the one kind of <laughs> adjusting for somebody else. But you mentioned that he hasn't been asked to do the physical kind of, go into an all-out sprint, but there's been a few times this season where he has had to do that, and and he's shown a bit of pace still, and, and he's caught up to players that you think he'll get smoked against uh, going on an all-out sprint side-by-side, side. And, and it's just little things like that that just – the man is, is such a solid defender. I, I don't think there's a mistake in him. And, and it's not just on the defending side. The ball comes up, he controls it, he gets rid of it coolly. Like, he can come at, two players can be pressing him hard and he'll find the right pass. And then when he's given the time, he has those pinpoint long balls. I mean, again, we're so lucky. We are so freaking lucky. This was supposed to be a one-year guy, and I'm hoping for five. I mean, put it this way, he's been so good lately that he's forced the 25, 26-year-old Andreas Christensen to go somewhere else to find game time. Right. And Thiago Silva is literally 11 or 12 years older than him. Um, but enough of Thiago Silva. I mean, we can never talk about him enough, Andres, but we do have to talk about another player that was huge um, in Mason Mount. I mentioned earlier that he was man of the match. Now, statistically, it wasn't it wasn't the most uh, fantastic match besides his two assists. He only had three key passes, uh, three shots, five ball recoveries, Dispossessed zero times. I think that's probably the most impressive stat. So Andres, I know he's, he had the two assists, but 
in terms of volume in the other categories, I mean, it was there, it wasn't there on the stat sheet, but this is one of those games where you watch Mason Mount and you, you kind of give him the eye test. Yeah. And he's just sort of phenomenal on the day. And it's clear that he was man of the match for me without even checking Twitter post match. So w- w- what did you think? Was it, um, is this the kind of role that we want to see him in? Because I mean, Mason Mount's a center mid, isn't he? Yeah, I mean, but 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 I'm talking about the freedom that he was given. I mean, he's overlapping on the left and the right. I mean, yeah. talk about that a little bit. Of course, and that's totally understood. So yes, he's given the free role, but he's starting from a central position, and so when he vacates that space, somebody else gets a free space in the middle. Uh, I'm thinking, for example, the first assist. The ball goes out wide to Ziyech, and then Mount makes an incredible run from the middle of the pitch down the right side of the field. It's it's the the ability to not only press and and be in the right place defensively and be a nuisance in the middle of the pitch, but it's it's switching your mind the moment we get the ball back and and being able to help on the outside or or mm. drifting away from from that from the wide players to give them the space to operate or combining with them to give them the space. Again, Mason Mount is, is so much better when he is kind of operating in, if you drop vertical lines on the on the two wide lines on a box and, and you start Mason Mount in those spaces and then let him go from there, I think he's a totally different player. This, you know, under Lampard's first season, and even in before Tuchel arrived, the best we saw of Mason Mount was when he was playing in a midfield three allowed to do the the offensive yards as long as he pitched in a little bit defensively and yeah. and that's where he's he's at his best he he scored a ton of goals his first season because he was kind of like a shadow to to Tammy in that 4-2-3-1 under Lampard then in the second season first before Tuchel came in and put him in the front three for his pressing he was still the met the best player and even captain besides at times as a center mid you don't because we play in a three in the back system, people forget that that's his natural position. He is played in the front three because he can press from the front. It's not that he's a winger by nature. And again, when we play a front three in the three four three, those aren't wingers. They are like slanted tens. He is still very much a central player. So I think this role where he's more central in an actual midfield three. He gets to pick and choose when to move wide while when we're in the 3-4-3, he's a little bit more shoehorned into being only on the right side, uh, being only operating in one one part of the pitch instead of kind of using that endless energy of his to to be an annoyance, honestly, because the guy moves so much that he even when he's not getting the ball, somebody has to worry about where Mason Mount is going. Yeah. So, I think easily he was man of the match. I thought the cross on the Lukaku goal was perfect. We need far more of that. I think he also looked a lot more decisive because he's not he's not asked to to find the final ball standing still outside of the 18. In this role, he is running past and, and receiving the ball in a through ball. He is operating off of other players where the decision-making just gets easier. I there's just more to it than than like oh well he can play in the front three it's it's how he's receiving the ball when he's the center mid it's usually yeah. in transition it's usually breaking the lines it's not oh ball to feet like Mason Mount is not your uh, big skiller guy so 
he's better as a work workman, I guess. Yeah, I think I think utilizing his best quality is putting him. I mean, if you're to utilize his qualities in a midfield three, you have to make him the most advanced so he can start the press higher up. I think if you drop him in deeper and use him more as a natural eight somewhere, an area like where Kovacic likes to operate, he could still be really effective. Don't get me wrong. I mean, he's still relatively press resistant. He could turn. He could find a pass. He could run at people. But if you have him higher up the pitch, that counter press, he's so good at it. To the point where if you can get him as close to the center backs as possible or as close to the six as possible, when we lose possession, we're almost instantly going to win it back. And I, th- I, I think that's really what took Middlesbrough completely out of their game. Not that they were trying to play with us much, but oftentimes it was, it was very much one or two passes and then a long ball because they couldn't find any sort of rhythm or build out play or, or they just couldn't control the game. And Mount was a big reason for that. So I'm definitely for it. Um, we do have uh, one more question about the match um, from Michael Conan at M. Conan. He asks, this is an interesting one. You could just give me your quick yes or no, Andres, and why. Would Isaiah Jones uh, be the rotational piece at right wing back we've been hoping for? Looked bright for Burrow today. So if you guys weren't watching, he is Burrow's right back. He did look good. Don't get me wrong. Kid looks like he's probably too good for Middlesbrough in a year or two. Um, <laughs> but look. We're not going to buy a 19, 20-year-old kid to, to, to sort of ride the bench because Reese James is going to be playing heavy, heavy minutes in the future. He's only 23 years old. so. Uh, and, and if you're going to get a 19, 18-year-old, you just bring him up from the academy. Yeah. I mean, it, we, we are not short of fullback options out of the academy. I mean, we've already lost Lamptey. We've lost Livermento. For some reason, the, the column just dishes out right, baller backs. fullbacks. Specifically yeah. just right-sided ones because we still haven't found an answer to the left side. But, I mean, players of that profile, yes, you need aggressive players that are willing to bomb down the right side of the pitch that are going to put in the yards to get back and that are – I looked into him. He's got a decent amount of assists, so I'm assuming he, the guy outside of this game has also got a good final ball. I, I've emphasized this before in the podcast. I don't need it to be a big name. To be a rotational right wing back, I just think it needs to be someone that is a, a less talented ilk of Reese James. Again, willing to put the yards, can get the ball off his feet in transition, a good final ball. Like you're, for example, today Liverpool played in their FA Cup match, and Tamikas started over Robertson, and he was man of the match. Nobody doubts that Tamikas is not as good as Robertson. But when Robertson needs a break, you have a guy that does the same role as him. That's yeah. all I want at right wing back. I, I really don't care if it's a fancy name or not. Um, I do agree with Zach, though, that you don't go and, and steal a, a, an 18-year-old from Burrow when you, when you probably have one in your back pocket. Yeah, yeah. Um, Leonard, I'm going to finish it off with a Leonard Cohen question, or questions, rather. There's two. For those of you that have been living under a rock and didn't see Jamie Carragher's comments regarding oh, Thomas Jamie Tuchel, um, what was that? Said, Fuck Jamie Carragher. Oh, there we go. Yeah, I wanted you to say it a little louder. Um, yeah, he said what he said. I don't want to repeat it because it's a little bullshit. But Leonard Cohen had a little comment about it, and I thought I'd read it because it's exactly my view. He said, Dear Pod, if those cunts at United think Thomas Tuchel will abandon us, 
They don't know the man. He's a mensch. Fuck United. So Andres, uh, our resident German expert, mensch is like a noble, like a noble man, right? It's it's an endearing term. Something. It's like a, a noble person. Yeah. Yeah. So. I like that. Thomas Tuchel. To me, he's royalty, but, but Mensch works too for now. Um, he also said, Dear Pod, I think one of the British lead consortiums with Tory connections will win the race to buy Chelsea Football Club. The Tories are transactional quid pro quo. Andres, I can't really speak too much on this because I'm not too familiar myself. Are you? Yeah, I, I'm not familiar with like the inner insides of British politics, but everything I've read so far is from both Nizar Kinsella and Matt Law is that Bowley and the Saudi media group seem to be the leaders uh, on, of of this uh of this race per se. I know that the I forget the candy guy he's kinda of fallen off the side. I highly doubt that John Terry's consortium is any real contender. Uh Ricketts is also another big one. Uh but we all can agree that we don't want a like racist slash Muslim phobic guy running a team that has like 50% uh, players that are are Muslim themselves. Well, they already said Milan, Sar, Ziyech, Rudiger, Conte, they all sort of raised concerns about that already internally. Because they're all, you know, I mean, they're like the main Muslim contingent within the squad. Right. I just, yeah, I I hope, again, there's going to be, no matter who you find, there's going to be something to dislike. You may think Americans are going to be just like the Glazers and and that sort of thing. You may be not a fan of of the Saudi government. Like, I think there's going to be a dark patch into a lot of people you want to look into. Um, I just hope that whoever comes in has an actual plan for the club. Yeah. Not just, not just the money. Yeah, I agree. Let's move on. I mean, we um we did have the Champions League draw. Uh, we drew Real Madrid again, back to back years, Andres. Um, now here's something interesting. We pulled a pulled a couple or pulled one stat at least. Um, a stat from you because I'll give you credit for it. it. Said Real has never won a competitive match in European competition versus Chelsea. Something interesting to note. Um, we did play them last year, and we tapped that ass. Sort of like how Barcelona tapped that ass earlier today. They beat them 4-0 in El Clasico in what was arguably the most disappointing El Clasico I've watched in a long time because I saw a former Arsenal player run riot at the <laughs> Bernabeu. Um, and I had to watch Real play in black jerseys, which is unacceptable on every account, which is why they lost. They probably deserved it. But look... Um, the main reason why they lost, for those of you wondering what the hell happened, I didn't watch the game. Kareem Benzema was out. Blown door candidate Kareem Benzema. Um, he is expected to be back by the Champions League tie, though, so don't expect him to be out too long, guys. Um, right now, Real is first in La Liga. We already know that. Um, and they came back from 2-0 down against a pretty shitty PSG side, regardless of you know the all-star team that they have on their team sheet. Um, they came back down from 2-0, 1-3-2, courtesy of the Benzema hat trick. I mean, let's talk about a little bit, Andres. Um, 
Me personally, I think I think Real is a stronger team this season than they were last season, just based on the form of the continued form of Benzema building on what he did yeah. last season. But we also saw the breakthrough of Vinicius. Um, do you uh, are you kind of on the same page? I mean, yeah, I think this season uh, it's crazy because Benzema has already kicked it into a new gear after Ronaldo left, but. I think he is most likely the top candidate along with Mo Salah for the next Ballon d'Or. So, yeah, if, if he's healthy and back, obviously he'll be the main threat. He scored on us last time around as well, a pretty great goal. Uh, but now Vinicius is actually scoring. Uh, last season and the seasons prior, Vinicius couldn't hit the wide side of a barn. So mm-hmm. it's uh, not to use El Clasico as, a, as an example, or at least this Clasico, but... I mean, those two guys will be by far the biggest goal threats. Um, apart from that, I think it's it's noted. It, it needs to be noted that Courtois is is on the kind of form of his career. I know that Barcelona scored a lot on him today, but if it wasn't for Courtois, that game could have been easily like ten nil. So, yeah, I I do think they're better. I think a game in the Bernabeu is not going to be easy at all. I mean, you saw what happened to PSG just two weeks ago. Uh, I do still think that we match up well. I think our athletic midfield is going to be sort of the key to the match. Uh, if we win the midfield battle and kind of cut off the, the, the service, I think that's where Chelsea can kind of uh, take advantage of the situation, but by no means is this going to be easy. I think, I think it'll be a little sweatier than it was uh, last year. Yeah, I think so too. Um, they have David Alaba. That's a, that's a signing that's sort of, I know if you watched the game today, every single Real Madrid player was awful today. Um, except for, I thought Valverde was decent at times. Casemiro a little bit, but they were shit for the most part. But just generally speaking, I mean, Alaba is someone that's come in and sort of, um, not replaced Ramos because that's unfair to what Ramos did there, but, he is that stable, level-headed guy in the back line. And I think after watching the Classico today, it, it, it's pretty evident if, if, if Furlan Mendy is out, that forces Real Madrid to continue playing Alaba as a left-sided defender, which or takes Nacho. him out of the middle. And that really only makes us have to deal with Nacho Fernandez and, um, uh, Eder Militao, right? And I Militao, mean, Nacho sometimes plays in the left back too, and that's not something I think Madrid would want to do. <laughs> no, no, I, I don't think Madrid will do that against wing backs. They're definitely going to go for pace out there. Um, but look, I mean, my my take on it is based on what I saw today, we have to specifically target Eder Militao. Um, I think that's a clear weakness there. When the guy is put under pressure, especially when he's pressed. He makes stupid decisions on the ball. He sort of reminds me of, and this is a, is actually a diss to Rudiger. He's sort of like a dollar store version of what Rudiger used to be, in my opinion. <laughs> but just Brazilian, right? Very, very silly decision making on the ball, erratic passing. Um, he, he almost, today in El Clasico, he got so flustered with some of his tackling to the point where he'd go in with too much force and just completely miss the ball at times. And I think if the, if we can get the 
the sort of pressure of the occasion to build up on him and to build up on him mentally and then also, you know, press him in the match. Whenever he receives the ball, it's full on. Putting him in difficult situations, 1v1s with Kai, maybe a couple aerials with Kai. Kai with his shithousery can also sort of maybe get in his head. To me, that's a big target. Um, yeah. Because, you know, in terms of their front line, when Vinicius gets the ball, we have to be on our horses running straight back towards our goal because he can outrun anybody on the pitch. And then Benzema, he speaks for himself, for his, for himself, right? We can't give him a single chance because he'll probably score. But now for me, when it comes down to beating Real, they'll might nick a goal or two, but we need to score three or four. And I think if we do that, we'll have enough to beat them. And for me, that means targeting Militao. I think this guy has a mistake or two in him and it's, and, and, and especially being a center back, if we could force that mistake out of him, that could completely make them crumble for a whole tie. I think there's 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 definitely weaknesses to their game, right? Yeah. PSG PSG just didn't know how to finish it off. I think it's just it's we're in the final eight of the Champions League. I guess that's what I'm trying to get at. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not here trying to say that we're gonna walk past these guys. I just think that you have to be smart. You don't want to overexpose yourself because those two guys are a full-on counterattack on their own, right? But at the same time, their defense can be extremely prone to mistakes. So I know we're not the most clinical, but again, just like I said earlier with FA Cup, these guys, something is inside of, of this Chelsea team and the DNA, and it's maybe just putting on the kit and understanding what the club means, but they're going to fight hard. And I think this is probably the best matchup, I would say, trying to keep my bias aside in the whole next round of the Champions League. Um, to kind of finish it off, I think you have to beat the best to be the best. So I'm glad we're playing Madrid now in two legs uh, versus perhaps just a one-off or mm-hmm. or even in the next round where they could gain even more momentum. So... Who knows? There's a lot of uncertainty here. They also have a lot of class, even though they're they're far more aging than we are. It's just it's gonna be a, it's gonna be a chess match. Yeah, it, it it's gonna be very hard fought. It's gonna be very emotional for for neutrals. Congratulations, you're about to get a hell of a kind of home and away set of matches. But don't yeah, for, I mean, don't, don't think that this squad forgot about what we did to them last year. I mean, yeah. they're, they're going to have that on their minds. I mean, there's no Sergio Ramos to have nightmares, unluck- like, sadly for us, but... No, I mean, but Timo, they still have... Timo maybe, not Timo, Tebow maybe a little bit afraid of Pulisic coming at him and, and just kind of messing with him inside the box. Get it at them both home and away. Yeah. No, I, I'm, for me, I'm thinking guys like Casemiro, guys like uh, Modric, Cruz. I mean, they were all there last year, Militao mm-hmm. even. Carvajal, they'll all remember how we spanked their booty last year. So um, I'm sure they're going to come in with a couple harsh challenges and whatnot. We'll see Pulisic on the ground a lot. Um, but for me, I mean, it comes down to this. We just got to score more goals than them. And, and, and their defense looked really fragile today. And our defense is one of the best, if not the best, in Europe. So there you go. Um when we do come back from the international break, we, uh, we're jumping right back into Premier League action, uh, against Brentford yep. at Stanford Bridge. Um, 
So, yeah, I mean, a little bit about Brentford. 15th in the table right now, eight points above the drop zone. I think they'll be comfortable um, in terms of staying safe. They're a good side, actually, well-coached, organized. Um, interesting stat about them. Uh, they scored one more goal away from home than they have at home thus far this season. So, you know, don't think that they're a side that goes on the road and just drops points and then their home is a fortress. They're they're definitely not that team whatsoever. They, they've dropped, I think, eight matches at home. They've lost. And um, <laughs> they're scoring more on the road. So this is a team that gets fired up for any match. Uh, and then in terms of the threat that they pose, Andres, something that was interesting, they don't score a lot from set from open play. Uh, 33 goals scored this season in total. Jeez. Um, only 16 from open play. Ten of them were from set pieces, um, which is an insane stat. So I guess that's something to look out for. They're going to lump their big, tall center backs in the box. Ivan Tony's on Ivan Tony, I was about to say. Yeah, it, I mean one or the other, right? It's either Ivan Tony who who had I think like a hat trick and and a brace the last two victories they had, so obviously he's the main man. Mm-hmm. But I mean Brentford just I think Brentford and I think a, a better version of of uh, Wilder's Sheffield United. That's a very good way to put it. And 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 now that I'm reading these stats, it actually makes sense as to why they went after Christian Eriksen in his service. No, yeah, I mean, yeah. the guys, if the guy's back, I mean, he played, well, again, they played Norwich and destroyed Norwich, and I'm pretty sure Christian Eriksen started that match or at least got a decent he, amount of minutes. He assisted Ivan Tony, and he scored a header. So, of course you go. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, look, I, I think the point is, is that they're going to, they're sort of going to surprise us in the same way Brighton did or does this season, right? Where their standing in the table doesn't really reflect how good of a side they actually are. Um, they're tough. They're going to, you know, obviously throw us around a little bit, especially in the midfield. But all in all, um, you know, you look at their team top to bottom, even their manager, they're they're just organized. Um, and just in that respect, they can pose us some problems. So, Leading into my prediction, Andres, with that in mind, um, I think we'll, I think we'll go away two nil. Um, it won't be a goal fest because Brentford just doesn't strike me as a team that's gonna sort of let the floodgates open and concede five or six on the road. Um, they're a competitive side and they'll stick to it and they'll give us a hard time. I think so. No. I think we'll only manage to get two past them and have enough to keep them out of our net. More importantly, Zach, are we going to have a new owner? I hope so. <laughs> More importantly than that, Andres, are we going to have a new podcast name? <laughs> well, we've had to, to answer that. We've had a few submissions. Of, I, I love the fact that the listeners are active. Yeah, but I don't think many of them write for a living. <laughs> I, I'm well, not saying we're the most creative people. But damn, it's like that. I I think we need to we need to think a little bit harder. I, I that's why we haven't obviously jumped into a new name. But in terms of this match, I think I think we're too good in, a, in form right now. I think a lot of the players who you know who haven't might maybe gotten rest may get get it this time around. I, I know Saul and and Alonso should be healthy when they come back. I know Reese started training again, 
Uh, he got called up to the England national team, and he hasn't even started training with the team. I mean, I don't, he's he's, I he's just he's been doing yeah, individual shit. Play. I hope yeah. he doesn't play for England. Those are those are friendlies, right? England is in the World Cup. It's fucking stupid. Why they called him up? I mean, his his form called for it, but like you don't call up the her guy. But that's why don't you let the guy from Palace get some minutes in his place? Or is he a left back? Am I mistaken, Mitchell? Ah. Uh, I'm not sure. I thought you were going to talk about Michael Olise. I was like, that guy doesn't play. No, 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 no. Uh, yeah. Wingers, I, no, he's like a attacking mid. Mm. Kind of can go anywhere. But anyway, that's, that's a different, totally different player. Uh, I yeah, think check we, out our Crystal Palace podcast on, uh, no, just kidding. Diamonds in the Sky, a Crystal Palace podcast. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> No, but but honestly, I think we we come out with a comfortable victory score wise. I agree with you that, I mean, even if we struggled against Brentford the first time around, if I'm not mistaken, or at least it felt like a hard match. Yeah, uh, they're they're a few points above the re- you mentioned above the relegation. Uh, I think Leeds is only a point behind them, so I don't think they're gonna be kind of sweating out to to win just one nil. I think they'll be a little bit more open than that. But again, I. I, I think we'll we'll show too much class. I think the fans have been amazing since this whole issue. And Stanford Bridge will only have Chelsea fans because of the whole sanctioning Chelsea thing. So season ticket holders. Yep. So yeah. uh again I think I think it'll be a victory. I think we'll keep the good form in the Premier League and and yeah, man, it, it it's good vibes on the pitch, at least, for Chelsea. Very, very much so. And that does bring us to the end of this week's podcast um it is the international break so you might not hear from us for a while and if you do we might have a new name we might not who knows um but when we update that we'll update all of you as well um make sure you guys do stay on the lookout um for all of our new episode drops we do drop an episode after every single match so once things get back up and running we will obviously be in full-fledged recording mode once again because we'll be playing twice a week recording twice a week posting twice a week You'll be hearing our lovely voices twice a week. Make sure you're following us on Twitter at Romans Empire Pod. And until the next podcast, keep the blue flag flying high, everybody.